0: Let's pray for the use of these funds and also God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you as the giver of all good gifts, the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We thank you that we have the opportunity to sow into the things of your kingdom, to share in all good things with those who teach and serve in various ways, and we ask that you will use these gifts for the good of your church, to bless this world, and that you will be glorified in us returning to yours what's your own. Lord, we also pray your blessing on your word and that we would cherish your word more than all earthly treasures. We thank you that you've given it to us for its readiness and availability. And as we turn our attention to it now, we ask that the unfolding of your words would bring light and understanding to each of our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be at work to lift up Christ and direct us in his ways. Please open our hearts and minds now. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our scripture reading for tonight will be from Psalm chapter 40. The particular text we'll be looking at will be the first three verses, but we'll read the chapter in whole. Psalm chapter 40. This is God's holy word. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds, And your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart." Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. This is God's holy, inspired word. Would he bless our hearing of it and our practice of it. These first three verses, I'll read again, just which comprise our text. The theme for the message tonight is rescue story. Again, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and put their trust in the Lord. We love stories of rescue, and I remember one, in the you might remember this too, in the summer of 2010. There's a dramatic story down in South America, in the country of Chile, Uh, At a mine, the San Juan mine, it collapsed, entombing 33 workers underground. And at first, no one knew whether they had survived or perished. They were trapped 2,300 feet under rock, trapped deep underground. And they were able to send in a small drill, just a small one, and it, it pierced the cavity where they were after 17 days. And when the drill came back up, it came up with a note That just said this, we are well in the refuge, signed the 33. And just like that, there was hope. From 2,300 2300 feet underground, there was hope. And these men, they stayed underground for a total of 69 days before they were finally rescued, each one of them. And they were rescued and raised up to the cheers and applause, to sirens, um, a celebration in response to this rescue. And they knew that this story was going to be a story that would be told. And so they they agreed among themselves while while underground that any any adaptation, whether a book or a film, from this story, that they would equally split split the proceeds among them. Because they knew that we love stories of rescue. The deeper, the darker, the more desperate, the more hooked we are, the more gripped we are. And the truth is that every child of God As believers, we have the greatest rescue story ever told. How the Lord Jesus rescued us from being in the pit, set our feet upon a rock. We have a beautiful rescue story, and we have a beautiful picture of a rescue story in our text today. A story David tells us. A story of his own deliverance in his life. It's David's rescue story, but it's also Jesus' rescue story. Because you see, this psalm doesn't only speak of David, but it also speaks of the Lord Christ. Actually, there's particular verses. Verses 4 and 5 in this chapter are explicitly said to be about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10. And so this has led some to wonder, is, maybe this psalm isn't even about David at all. Maybe it's just about Jesus. But then people say, well, you know, there's verses about my iniquities and stuff. Maybe that doesn't apply to Christ. And then other people say, well... There's some things here that couldn't really apply to David, things that seem to be applied only to Christ. So how do we reconcile this? And I want us to see that both are in view. We see David, we see Jesus, and actually we see ourselves as believers here as well. Uh, Perhaps you can imagine it like this. If you've ever used um, an SLR camera, that has a manual focus, so you twist it and you can dial in the focus near or far. And we have people scattered through here, one in the middle front, one middle, one back, and I could focus the camera on the person in the front. The others behind are still in view, but not the particular focus. But I could shift the focus to someone further back, or in the back row. The people in the front are still in, fo- in view, just not in focus. And this is what we see happening in this psalm. Uh, the writer, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the focus shifts. Sometimes David's more in view. Christ is there, but a bit more obscured. Sometimes Christ is in sharp focus and David more obscured. And so we can shift from David at the front, then see Christ behind that. And I'd argue we see ourselves too, as this is an experience of deliverance common to all the people of God. We see ourselves in view here as well in this story of rescue. And we have the story of rescue, a beautiful, great story of our deliverance. We sometimes call this our testimony. And one of the problems is that we often don't realize of what use our testimony is to us as Christians. We wonder, how does what God did for me when he saved me in the past, how does that apply to me now? How does that apply to me and help me in my current circumstances? Maybe you feel like you're in a pit. Maybe it's a pit of, of, of external trial. Maybe it's just a pit of your own um, spiritual apathy and lack of sense of God. And I want us to see that in whatever pit we might be in, there's help for us when we reflect back upon, when we recall, remember, recount this story of rescue, of of the Lord's rescue of us, as told by the rescue of David, seen in the rescue of Christ. And there's three things I think we can learn from this. We learn, when we reflect on our rescue, how to have patience in prayer. We learn how to have the perspective that comes from praise, and we get a push to proclaim. That's what happens. And we'll look at this and look at these points as we look at the depths, the deliverance, and the display. These are the headings we'll be looking at. So first, the depths. The text begins, David speaking, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. David's writing this psalm after being delivered from a pit, an affliction, a desperate trial. Contextually, we don't actually know what this was. We don't know what particular trial David was experiencing here. It could have been many. David had a very afflicted life. It could have been being hunted by Saul, betrayed by Absalom, attacked By the Philistines, deceived by close friends. Maybe, and this is just speculation, but it could have been after, as punishment for his sin of numbering Israel, the Lord sent a great plague. And 70,000 people in Israel died by a plague as a result of David's own sin. It could have been a trial kind of like the one we're experiencing right now. But whatever the trial is, David describes it as being in a pit of destruction. Uh, This could also be translated as a horrible pit. It's a deep pit or a sounding pit. It's that type of pit that's so big that when you throw something into it, it echoes and reverberates all the way down. It's not a place you want to be. But not just a horrible pit. He describes it also as a miry bog, or a a place of sort of sinking clay and mud, the kind that sucks you in. Uh, I I grew up uh, close to a farm. My uncle had a farm, and my siblings and I would walk through the field, and if you know what um, farm fields get like when it's muddy, especially as rainy as it is in, in uh, British Columbia, where I'm from, it's really muddy. And what happens is you're going along in your gumboots and all of a sudden, whump! you're pulled in and you're up to your knees or even hips in mud. And to get pulled out of that mud is quite the chore. I remember one time my sister and I tried to pull my little brother out and we worked hard and we got him out, but the gumboots were lost. They slipped off and the gumboots are just gone under the mud. And, you know, that's bad enough when you're on solid, flat ground. But to be in sinking mud, in the bottom of a horrible-sounding pit, that's just like a picture of utter desperation, a desperate situation. That's the situation David finds himself in. And by the metaphor of this situation, it can apply to many different trials we might be facing. And what I want us to see here, David's in this trial. The first thing I want us to note in this is that Godliness does not exempt the believer from the pit. David was a man after God's own heart, and he wasn't exempted from being in a desperate circumstance. Even more so, the Lord Jesus Christ himself wasn't exempt from the pit. He went down all the way to the grave. He bore the sufferings of man, and he, in view of this, he cries out in the garden that the Lord would take this cup from him. Christ's perfect, holy life did not exempt him from the pit. So we ought not to think we will be exempted either. And perhaps you feel like you are deep, down, dark today. Deep in a pit. Could be emotional, financial, relational. Struggling with various things. This text is for you. And we learn... If you're in that sort of situation, we can learn from David what he did. And we learn, first of all, he says that he cried out and waited. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So first of all, that implies David was crying out. David was crying out to the Lord for deliverance. And we can note here that anguish and grief are not inappropriate emotions for the child of God. It is right, no, it's, it's even good to cry out to God. We don't have to approach God politely. We don't have to be like we talk to our neighbor, try to be polite. God desires for us to cry out, to unburden our souls to him in the pit. Jesus even did this. Hebrews 5, 7 says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications With strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. If Jesus can cry out with strong crying and tears to God, so can we. So don't be afraid to cry out to him with your whole heart, to honestly unburden yourself before the Lord. David cried out to the Lord. But we don't just cry out to the Lord, we're also called to wait patiently in our crying. He says, I waited patiently upon the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's actually a doubling up of the same word. More like, in waiting, I waited. It's a, it's a waitful waiting, maybe we could say. And it's, it's important to learn in a season where we're crying out to God what it means to do it patiently, waiting upon God. And the reason this is important is because if you, are, if you do not add patience to your crying, Then your crying out very quickly becomes a cry of bitterness, a cry of frustration, even a cry of anger against the Lord, of why, Lord, won't you deliver me now from this? Why aren't you acting? But we add patient waiting to our crying, such that our crying to God becomes a crying out that includes utter resignation to the will of God, utter submission to Him in His goodness. As such we see in the example of Christ again, who, th- when he cried out, he said, yet not as I will, but what you will. So yes, cry out, but also hand over, entrust your souls to that faithful creator in doing good. And how, how do we learn this patient crying? How do we learn to be patient and to wait under prolonged suffering? under times of trial. And I would say that we can find help in our rescue story here, in that story of salvation. Here's why. Because whatever pit you find yourself in now, you've been in worse if you're a child of God. You were way deeper, in a way darker, in a way more desperate place when you were a slave to sin, when you were subject to vain idols, when you were living a life serving the devil himself. And if the Lord in His goodness would reach down and deliver you up by sending His own Son to die, why would you not trust Him in this pit? And wherever you find yourself now, how can you not trust Him now? This is exactly what Paul argues in Romans chapter 8, 32. He says, "...he that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things?" It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If when you hated God and were his enemy, he showed you grace and mercy and goodness, how will he not so much more now that you're his child, while you're in the pit, show you his mercy, show you his grace, show you his goodness and his comfort? It might not look like immediate deliverance from the affliction you're feeling. But God knows best how to minister his goodness unto you, how to be gracious and merciful for you, to you. And if we trust him for our eternal salvation, we can, test, we can trust him in our temporal trials as well. So when you're in the depths, remind yourself of what God has already definitively done for you in Jesus to encourage your own soul to wait again to trust again, to cry out again, because the Lord has proved himself faithful and will continue to do so yesterday, today, forever. So we need to reflect. We need to reflect and recall on this great story of rescue the Lord's given to us, a story that we do well to remind ourselves of, a story that involves great and mighty acts, Uh, acts we'll look at as we look at the deliverance itself. And this, this is what David says. He says, he inclined to me and heard my cry; he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And this is really, this is the heart of this passage. It's a, you could actually argue that God is the main character here. We have more um, descriptions of what God's action is here than anything else. Uh, God's the central character in his deliverance. We see set forth in six actions here. He says, God inclines to me. That is, um, the idiom here is almost that God bends his ear like down to David's mouth so as to hear him. God inclined to me. He heard my cry. And this isn't just a hearing like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I heard that, but it's a hearing so as to listen and help. He drew me up. That is, God lifted David from that dark pit and set my feet upon a rock. That is, gave me solid ground to walk on. And uh, the Hebrew word for the rock here, it's not just like you came back up to ground level, but it's actually more like a mountain. So taken from the lowest pit, set on a high, solid mountain, where no longer you encompassed, but you are high and have perspective and see beauty again. He set my feet upon a rock, made my steps secure... This is the idea of sending you then down the right path, that that you might walk in a way to not fall into the pit again. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. This uh, new deliverance of David becomes an occasion for praise, an occasion for a new song of praise. In this one action, really we can think of it as one action, this action of God reaching down and lifting up, rescuing or delivering and it sparks praise. And this is the way it's always been for the people of God. God's rescues always result in praise. Uh, you, you look in the book of Exodus. Um, what does Exodus 14, the Red Sea crossing, lead to in Exodus 15? It's a song of deliverance. We, um, we opened up our call to worship to it tonight in um, Isaiah chapter 12, a beautiful song of praise. Comes right after Isaiah 11 which is a prophecy of Christ's work inaugurating the new covenant and taking his reign over all creation. The work of Christ results in praise. But also, that final deliverance that we see foretold in the book of Revelation, how often do the saints in Revelation turn in praise to God? So praise will be our theme now, and it'll be our theme unto eternity. As we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, shining like the sun, we won't have one day left to sing God's praise to sing God's praise. What a delightful response. Uh, This was the response that those miners had as they came up. Everyone praised. They were grateful. They were thankful, because that's what deliverance sparks, a thankfulness, a praise. And I think we often, we forget to praise or neglect praising God because we don't actively remember who He is and what He's done for us. We don't do the work to bring it to mind, who God is and what he's done. And I was really struck reading a couple weeks ago when here in Grand Rapids, uh, it was the very first patient in a Grand Rapids hospital who had been in the critical care with coronavirus. He was, his name was Chad Kaufman. He was only 40 years old, and he was in the critical care unit, and he, re- he recovered from being in a really desperate spot, on, almost on death's door, He recovered, and there's a video you can see online where um, he's being wheeled out down a line of doctors and nurses who are cheering for him and celebrating this recovery from being in a desperate spot. And he just says a few words that really stuck out to me. They, They asked him if he wanted to say anything, and this is what Chad said. He said, just thank you for saving my life. It means everything to me. I don't know what else to say, but thank you. And shouldn't that so much more represent our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you for saving me. I, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. The heart of praise is a heart of thankfulness, overflowing because of God's goodness to us. His works of creation, of redemption, of sanctification. All he's done for us is so worthy of praise. We have, we have the greatest deliverance, being stuck in sin, The Holy Spirit works to regenerate a heart, to grant faith, to grant repentance, to justify us, to be fully forgiven, to be given a new life, to be guaranteed an eternal inheritance and a great hope. We have such matter for praise. So glorious. And praise is really important, and here's why. Praise is especially important when you're in a pit when you're in a dark place, because praise brings perspective. And the difficulty of when you're in a trial, especially a hard trial, is it's really difficult to see around you. When you're deep in a pit, all you see are just the walls, the darkness and the the distance between where you want to be. And so you almost just see your immediate circumstances. But what praise does, Praising God is it lifts your eyes off yourself and it lifts your eyes heavenward. And praise is like a way to lift your soul out of the pit to gain the perspective of the mountaintop. Praise takes you from the pit to the pinnacle. And as you praise and you see God's mightiness, God's glory, God's greatness, His goodness towards you, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace, and you have a new perspective, you're better able to trust the Lord again, to submit yourself to His hands again. And because not only God is worthy of praise, and we should praise Him because of His worth, but praise is so helpful for us. Praise functions almost as a medicine for us when we are in the pit, as it brings us the perspective we need in order to have hope, in order to trust And therefore, praise is kind of like refreshing water to a barren soul. It's like a a, a cooling creek on a hot day. And so maybe if you're in a season where you feel like your spiritual life is kind of dry, and you just feel like you have dark and dim perceptions of God, get about the practice of praise. Put on worship music. Let that fill your ears throughout the day, instead of whatever fine stuff there might be. But to... Practice a heart of praise throughout the day really helps lift you up to see God for who he is and see your circumstances for what they are. So let's be people of praise who not only seek to praise God on our own, but to sing and praise with your families, to engage your heart and mouth in corporate worship, to sing, as Colossians says, with grace in your heart, with with a largeness of heart, that really um, where you're giving all you have to God, to sing with your whole heart, to give your whole voice, So let's be people of praise because praise brings perspective. God puts a new song in your mouth, a song of praise to our God. And an encouragement to that is, again, to reflect and recall and and recount what God has done for you in rescuing you from slavery. And even what he does to rescue us every day. He rescues us so many times from ourselves, from our stupid mistakes, from the sins that so easily catch and ensnare us. He's such a good rescuer. And so we recount our stories of rescue because it helps us have increased patience and in prayer. It helps us gain the perspective of praise. And these are great helps to us, but your story wasn't just given to you for you. But this story is also for others. It's a story that's meant to be told. We see this in the display. David says, "Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord." And we know David was famous in Israel. He was well known, and what happened to him were things that really everyone was going to find out. And so when God delivers David from whatever trial this might have been, many saw that. They noticed it. And it wasn't just a, oh, that's a cool story sort of thing. It says that they came to fear God. To, to, to fear God means to have um, an increased awareness of his presence to to really recognize the reality of God such that it, it constrains you from sin and compels you to righteousness. People came to fear God, to recognize that God is real because of how he delivered David, and to trust him, to put their hope in him, that God, you will deliver me. You delivered my king. You will deliver me as well. Many will see, fear, and trust in the Lord. And in a similar way, our testimonies are a fit content to proclaim. And this amazing deliverance God has done for us, it gives us a push to proclaim. And a rescued person, it should be noticeable. I'm sure people saw the the look, the glow on the miners' faces for ages after, I've been rescued. And as rescued ones, our lives ought to testify to the goodness of God in deliverance. And the deliverance of what? Deliverance from slavery to sin. Deliverance from serving vain idols. And so when people in this world are still enslaved to sin, serving vain idols, our lives should speak of a quality that's different, the quality of someone that's been freed from that. And so they should, as Peter says, be surprised when we don't run with them into the same flood of wickedness and debauchery. They should even, as he says again, um, ask us about the hope that's within us. And I wonder if even in this time in this time of coronavirus, that perhaps the way we live and trust God, rely on Him, set our hope in Him, speak of Him, have peace, perhaps that will testify that God means more to us than our health or our businesses or our freedoms, whatever the case might be of what we're losing. God is more, and that should testify But even um, on the subject of the gospel, sharing the gospel, don't be afraid of sharing your testimony because your testimony of salvation is an application of Christ's work to you. And so don't be afraid to share what the Lord has done for your soul, how he's delivered you, how he's rescued you. And even not just salvation itself, but God's small answers to prayer. We can speak to others of how God has met us recently, things he's delivered us from, things he's shown us. And I'd encourage you, uh, parents especially, make this a practice in your families. Practice returning thanks for answers to prayer, um, along with taking requests for prayer. And I even think, too, it could be a great idea to, um, maybe in this time, if you haven't, share with your own children the story of how God brought you to himself, about how he turned your heart around. Your children need to know God's work in your soul. If they don't know that, that's something that you need to share with them. So let's be people that love declaring what God has done for us, who love praising Him. That many others, whether our families, our friends, coworkers, that they would see, that they would fear God and trust Him for themselves. Many will see, fear, and trust in the Lord. This is what David said, and this happened in his day. But we see, by far, the greatest, the broadest, most beautiful fulfillment of this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, like David, Christ was in a pit. He went down to the grave through the sufferings of the cross. We confess in the creed that he descended into the grave. Christ was in the pit, and the Lord his Father delivered him up and raised Him on high, vindicating Him as the Son of God, vindicating Him as the righteous Deliverer. And God didn't just bring Christ up to the ground, but He lifted Christ up. He ascended into heaven where He now rules and reigns, waiting until that time when His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. And this is the rescue story that many have seen and heard and the reason why they've put their trust in the Lord. It's the witness to the resurrection of Christ from the grave that is the story of the gospel that's been told again and again for the last two millennium. Christ was in the grave, and God delivered him and raised him up on high, never to die again. He's the Lord. He's the one to follow. That's the story you and I heard. Jesus was dead, he died for sin, and the Lord raised him up. The Lord raised up Christ, delivered him from death. And we've seen it. And we've come to fear God and to trust in Him. And this is going to continue. And here's the beautiful thing. If we have trusted Christ, what He's done for us by His mighty acts of deliverance, Christ's rescue, His raising becomes ours. By faith when we are united to Jesus, His death becomes our death. He died to sin that we might die To sin, or he died for sin that we might die to sin. He was raised to life that we might share in new spiritual life. He was resurrected that we might have a hope of resurrection one day again. And he ascended on high to rule his church. To guide us as a sovereign Lord, to protect us, that the gates of hell would never prevail against his church. He even intercedes for us every moment. This is the God we're united to. So in his death we die, in his life we live, and we have eternal deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. What beauty, what, what, what reason for hope. What what an encouragement to praise. And what a thing we get to proclaim. What a message of a delivering, saving God. And maybe there's a person listening, and you don't feel like you've ever known what it feels like to participate in this deliverance. Maybe you think, I still feel like I'm in the pit, and I don't know if I've ever been out. I still feel like I've never known freedom from sin. I've never known forgiveness. My conscience still speaks against me. I don't even know if I could ever say I've trusted or loved the Lord Jesus. Maybe what you think what you've done means you're too deep, you're too down, you're too dark. But the beauty is that there's none so deep that is out of reach of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. His arm is not short, but it is long to redeem. The lowest, the vilest, the poor. Jesus comes to rescue and deliver even you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is the rescuing one. He's gone to heaven to send the Spirit to do this work of deliverance. Will you trust him today? Will you open your heart to him today? Will you cry out to him today and look? Look in faith to the one who alone can deliver you. As we sung earlier, not my sighs and tears, not my works can deliver my soul, but your work alone, O Christ, can bring me freedom. That's the freedom we have in Jesus, and it's a freedom worth singing about for all eternity. Let's pray to him. Lord Jesus, you are our great deliverer. You are our sovereign king, and you are raised on high, and you're bringing a host with you. And we delight to be those who've been caught up in your train, who have been rescued from slavery to sin, made sons of God with an eternal inheritance in store. Lord, work these truths so deep into our hearts that they would give us patience to cry out to you and trust you in our various trials, that they would overflow in praise, that in whatever trials we're experiencing, Lord, that we'd have the perspective of who you are and who you are to us. And Lord, that this would overflow in a well of proclamation of your goodness, of your deliverance to us. Lord, would you cause us to be a praising people, a praying and trusting people, and a proclaiming people for the glory of of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask. Amen.